0: the team with the brass. I'm This is Fangraphs Audio, my guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, making his fortnightly appearance in the program. It's his fortnightly appearance. He's the lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com, Eric Longenhagen. Eric Longenhagen is the guest. And on this edition of the program, as he does every two weeks, Eric Longenhagen endeavors here to analyze all prospects. A particular note on this occasion longanagan and i both begin and mostly end the program with a conversation a preview of sorts of his organizational prospect lists these are, of course, the ranked lists of the prospects belonging to each franchise. Longenhagen will begin with National League West teams, and therefore he has made the prospects from those teams a considerable interest of his recently, going to see some of their youngest prospects play in the Fall Instructional League. I ask Longenhagen to, and he almost willingly consents to discuss one player from each of the NL West franchises in almost alphabetical order. Jazz Chisholm, the Arizona Diamondbacks. Michelle Miliano, the San Diego Padres' fourth overall pick, Riley Pint, from the Colorado Rockies; Jordan Sheffield from the Dodgers, and Joan Gregorio from the San Francisco Giants. I believe it was, maybe not Joan Gregorio, but very possibly Joan Gregorio, Giants. Do you suppose Longenhagen is looking forward to this horrible burden of producing thirty organizationalists all by himself? Here is his comment on the matter when asked a similar question. <laughs> Once again, Eric Longenhagen commenting on his horrible burden. (laughs) That expression of defeat and other expressions of defeat just like it in what's to follow. What's not following immediately is a sponsor's message. If there were a sponsor's message, it would be for SeatGeek and SeatGeek.com, but there is not a sponsor's message, so instead we move directly to a conversation. What is it? It is Fangraphs Audio. Who does it feature? Lead prospect analyst of Fangraphs.com, Eric Longenhagen. And when does it begin? Right now. Last night. Oh, that's very nice. Mm-hmm. What'd see? you see? What okay, did they play? So, uh
1: it was like you know, it was an, a Halloween-ish type themed evening. Uh it was like a, a hybrid Halloween. Night on Bald Mountain type, uh, type of stuff. And then they, they played a lot of Harry Potter themed music as well. And my, my wife love, and her, and her friend Hannah, they love that stuff. So we went and I brought my Slytherin wand at my, uh, wife's request. <laughs> cause I, cause I am a Slytherin. Um, so. You? I found too. other people that had Slytherin garb on and asked them how they felt about eugenics. Uh, Okay. It was a good time. We had a good time. But you know, the one thing that was weird last night is they had a magician doing tricks while they were playing the music, which I didn't know was going to be a thing. And he was horrendous. Uh, just like talking over the music and just generally not doing a very good job. And it was a little
0: busy. It was a little little busy. Yeah. Unkempt. Is that another word you might use? Unkempt. Maybe, yeah. I mean, he himself was
1: a very clean cut, like Italian guy with a shirt that was too tight. Um, yeah. But just so like a you know, magician, it's just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, this whole, but it was good. You know, the music was incredible. Um, and then on the, our light rail trip home, I asked one of the musicians who was on the train with us, like, "Hey, what do you think about the magician?" And he was just like, eh, he's okay. He's an okay magician." <laughs> so. <laughs> What about you? What have you What have you been up to?
0: Just visiting family. Uh, That's good. Um, back in New Hampshire, down in New Hampshire, but back in Maine now, so don't worry. Okay. Down in Maine. And, uh, yeah, yeah, nothing of uh, nothing much import. You'll be happy to know, uh, you'll be the sigh of relief when you learn that both the, uh, some spinach and mosh, a French green mosh, those are both, uh, sprouting nicely in the backyard. That's uh, good. Mosh in particular is cold tolerant. So this is a this is a fine time to plant it. I've also been reading a lot about grasses, ornamental grasses like switchgrass, buffalo grass, reed grass.
1: So I assume you're <laughs> considering planting those grasses. Yeah,
0: yeah, you're considering planting them. Yeah,
1: Do you yeah, have do a little grass bit. that's going to be usurped yeah, by so, these grasses.
0: Uh, so th- th- these are these are more ornamental grasses than they would be turf grasses. You know. Yeah. What are you looking up? I'm looking up
1: grass. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah.
0: Do you see what I'm saying? Yep. Switchgrass. Yeah. Reed grass. grass. You know, it's a beautiful. You know, it's a beautiful grass. Well, you could have. You could have. There's grasses that are very, uh, for the Southwest. But if you type in European meadow grass, type that in. It's either European or Europe meadow grass. European meadow grass. Mm -hmm. You see that? Or no, sorry, European meadow sedge. That's what I Mm -hmm. meant to say. All the it's pictures
1: also known of the as, European meadow grass have, well, yeah. like turtles and stuff.
0: European meadow sedge. sedge. It's also known as Carex remota, I believe. Carex remota, which actually, in itself, being Latin, sounds a little bit like a Harry Potter spell, doesn't it? I suppose so. Okay. You see that European meadow sedge?
1: I do. Yeah, it's very. Um, yeah, it's very fluffy looking. <laughs> it's wispy and thin and it
0: yeah it's nice uh look,
1: look nice blowing in a in a breeze
0: yeah it does <clears throat> let me ask you some questions buddy boy okay uh what have you who have you seen recently what have you seen recently oh, it's shit. been 2 weeks roughly 2 weeks since we last spoke
1: yeah a lot of instructional the... league stuff okay Actually, instructs yeah instructional league stuff um Focusing on the NL West clubs because that's who's up first in the uh, in the organizational list. Ah,
0: wow, terrifying. What a burden, right? <laughs> <laughs> what a terrible burden. Who? So you're going by division? Is that right? Yeah. Okay, well, I need some division? arbitrary
1: way to to organize everything, right? Sure. So sure. I figured, well, we'll just do them by division.
0: Yeah, and then next year uh, you can go in reverse order if you want?
1: Maybe, maybe. Did you
0: make it that far? <laughs> so, what's the first club? Are you, do you care to the Diamondbacks? That? What the old D-backs. The Arizona Diamondbacks. With a
1: system that is deep and interesting, but lacking any real
0: oomph up top. Yeah. Oh, we've talked about it. Some of these guys. S of 45. We talked recently. Yes. The, some of them appeared in uh, the French Five. A couple of middle infielders, or middle infielder and a third baseman. At the who are playing for Double A, the Double A affiliate.
1: Yeah, so I've been talking about some of those guys with people in the industry. Um, it seems as though they re-signed Ildemaro Vargas, who was okay. Out. So,
0: so Ildemaro Vargas was that was number one. He's number right. one.
1: Yeah, so he yeah. was I think he was gonna be a minor league free agent, so they've brought him back. He's not on the forty man or anything like that. So it sounds like on the organizational depth chart he's still behind, you know, obviously the Nick Ahmeds and um Gene Segura's of, of the club, but like uh Jack Reinheimer and stuff, like he's he's behind uh him as well, it seems. Uh but uh but yeah, like they like him. Obviously they brought him back and he'll be on the list. For sure, he's worth mentioning, but it's probably, you know, it's probably more of a utility type of role. I don't think, um mm-hmm. I haven't really found anybody who's like, yep, that guy's a shortstop, uh, you know, play him, put him, stick him there, it's fine. Uh, it seems like Reinheimer is a superior option there, so.
0: Defensively or offensively defensively, or total?
1: Mostly defensively. Uh, yeah. better body control, not really explosive is Reinheimer, mm-hmm. but, uh, but just better back to ball skills. Uh, well, maybe that's sort of arguable, but just yeah, I think defensively, Reinheimer's much better. Right. Yeah.
0: Well, you start you start sliding down that uh that positional spectrum, mm-hmm. the defensive spectrum. You gotta you gotta compensate for it with offense, don't you? Indeed, you do. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's I've a
1: seen fact. a bunch of the Diamondbacks uh, guys. I saw Jazz Chisholm, who is probably Jazz. Be-
0: say, th- say this person's name again.
1: Jazz Chisholm. First name, like a- his full first name is, uh, Chaz Rado. He was on the, the British World Baseball Classic qualifying team. He's from the Bahamas.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: he's a guy who, he hit exceptionally well at the lower levels this year and is a guy that the Diamondbacks like. He's a guy that other scouts like. Not everyone sold on him as a shortstop either, but I think the bat might play at second base anyway.
0: It's you, so you were able to see him play in. Instructional League. Instructional League. Jazzerotto. Jazz Chisholm. That's a great name. It is. He's native of where, Do you, would you guess? I think the Bahamas. Oh, yes. You said that. That's right, because he played did. on a British team. Thank you for yeah, listening. Yeah, I wasn't listening to you. Okay. That's okay. Okay. I deal with that constantly. <laughs> uh, what are – first of all, what is the demonym, the adjective to describe a person from – Bermuda. Is it just a Bermudan? I don't know. Fair enough. I know and, Bahamas,
1: it's Bahamian
0: and not right. Bahamanian,
1: which is, I was very disappointed to learn.
0: Right. But uh, I would not say that the Bermuda necessarily has a rich baseball history. Is that fair? I agree. At least in terms of producing talent.
1: Mm-hmm. It's just, I mean, Lucius Fox is from the Bahamas.
0: Yeah, but that's not Bermuda. That's not is Bermuda. It? Is Jazz no, not- from Bermuda or from the Bahamas? is who jazz yeah you just said bermuda i said but the bahamas well who's talking about bermuda then the beach boys
1: (laughs) and they talk about the
0: bahamas as well i think the bahamas i think the bahamas have a slightly richer
1: Rado chisel birthplace nassau bahamas yeah
0: yeah they've also produced uh perhaps jerell cotton does that sound right
1: no, that's Virgin Islands
0: Ugh, different thing, huh? Yeah You know, it's good uh, It's good that our That our Island Geography is as poor As the Canadian version of it It's good to know But well, ooh, We have to uh, be consistently
1: Ignorant, don't we? Ignorant,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah An equal opportunity <laughs> um, Ignoramus, yeah Sure. So Jess Jim was almost a new name. Now, for example, just, uh, here's, I will employ, well, my only skill really, which is to scout a stat line and I see it and I see, um, someone who was exhibiting both power and some foot speed, but also uh, striking out close to 30% of the time. Uh, is that a concern? Is that a concern do you think? Or, uh, Oh yeah, it, sure. Yeah. Oh, okay.
1: Uh, you know, with the, I think at the very least, I'm confident saying that there's a middle infielder's pedigree there. So, you know, and combine that with, you know, the, the fact that strikeouts are just sort of less and less important, uh, from a hitting perspective. Then yeah, you know, but it's, I think it's a valid concern.
0: Yeah. You know, here's the thing. Making contact is, is, is essential, right? For, for a ball player. And um, there are, there are a number of indications now that, um, Players who produce better than average strikeout rates as minor leaguers, uh, they have a leg up entering um, the major leagues because it shows that they're able to put the bat in the ball. And uh, of course, we've have some notable examples of players over the last few years who have not necessarily exhibited power as minor leaguers, uh, but did exhibit uh, above average contact abilities, and then and then began to exhibit more power. Once they made it to the major leagues, Matt Carpenter is probably the most uh, ready example. But uh, Jose Altuve has done something like that. Of course, had a great year. Um, uh, Jose Ramirez, I think, even for Mm -hmm. Cleveland, yeah, has uh, he's actually played like a corner outfielder? You know, produced offensively. Uh, He's produced sufficient offense to play a corner outfield, which is not something I think that many would have expected of him. Um, In part, it you know it's possible that. You know, those two latter names are products of the um, uh, in, in, home run spike. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's, you know, they still retain their value and retain value relative to the league. I am, I, here's the thing though <clears throat> watching a prospect with my own untrained eyes, there are, I feel like there are a lot of things I could tell you about him because I've spent a life. You know, most of my life looking at athletes Mm -hmm. um, and trying to understand them. I think I could probably tell you if a guy had a, you know, it was strong, you know, a a combination of uh, strength and coordination that would allow him to to hit for power. If he was fast, I could probably tell you that. I don't know if I could say for sure, even if I watched a guy in batting practice or games, I'm not sure if I could tell you without looking at his numbers if he was going to be a good contact hitter. It, it, or do you have that skill? Do you think? And if if so, how is it? that you went about acquiring it? Uh, I do. I do
1: think I have that skill. A lot of it has to do with reps. Um,
0: I'm trying not to be a braggadocious, but no, no, I, don't, no, don't be necessarily braggadocious. But say that you say you could just say it is possible. Yeah, to I developed that skill, and how would some, you
1: do it? I think there are some objective elements of swinging a baseball bat, you know, that that lead to good contact. Uh, evaluating a hitter as a good contact hitter involves context for the the viewer, because you have to be able to see and say, okay, this guy has bat speed that'll play in the big leagues. Uh, it it requires. Uh, like previous knowledge of other swing types, you know, guys who whose swing maybe has excessive swing and miss because of the path of the bat or because of uh, their footwork. Maybe there's not good plate coverage there. They're like there are a whole lot of elements that factor into that. And then I think evaluating hand-eye coordination is just a thing that takes a, a while. You have to watch a guy for a while to to see whether or not he can put the bat on the ball in, in different parts of the zone or – uh, hit, hittable pitches, you know, pitches in happy zones of contact. Uh, you know, that's just sort of a thing that you have to see over a longer period of time. It's not a thing you can see in batting practice or, or even in a game or two. You need to, you need to see a guy for 10, 15 at bats before you really get an idea of that. That I think you could be confident in. Uh, and then some of it is just being able to deduce Things based on watching other players that have had success and uh, applying those memories that you have of seeing that player to other players. Uh, so there's a, there are a lot of different factors that go into it, and I think that's why most people agree that evaluating the hit tool is the hardest thing.
0: Right. Yeah. Uh,
1: and then, of course, the, the stat line, too. You know, you got to look at that. Good hitters yeah. hit. That's that's constantly said. Right. Uh among scouts you know so Um,
0: can you think of can you think of a batter who you would have anticipated or did anticipate based merely off of uh observations of him you said to yourself i think that he is going to be a good hitter but maybe even more specifically i think he's going to be a guy who makes contact with some frequency and then it was review- – and then uh, you know a, a larger sample uh, exhi- uh, produced the exact opposite result, right? He made a lot less contact than you would have expected or I guess vice versa. Maybe if someone you saw and you said, uh, I don't think he's going to make a lot of contact and then uh, that's, that guy did make a lot of contact. Someone who – your impressions were incorrect – and then maybe maybe why that might have been the case other than randomness, although randomness is also an acceptable answer. Uh,
1: I don't think I would have anticipated Corey Dickerson striking out like a quarter of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I saw Dickerson, mostly in fall league, he was whacking everything to all fields, just like absolutely mashing. Uh, and I don't watch a lot of – uh, raise games, so I can't say you know if his approach has changed they're prioritizing things that uh, sort of eat away at his ability to make contact, but that's a guy uh, who I would have thought uh would have would have struck out as much as he has
0: and where did you where did where did you have the the best look at him fall league fall league so yeah. it looks like he played there in twenty twelve does that sound right
1: i uh, yeah i mean if you, if it says it then yeah
0: <laughs> yeah no no i was just trying I was just trying to figure out um so that would have been yeah that would have been fall of twenty twelve mm-hmm. when he was still a member of still a member of the Colorado system and still and uh, and I would say probably not a top prospect right at that point I don't because I don't think he ever was a top prospect
1: no he was a guy that I think I know in fall league I liked him uh, but he you know what was on a tear do you have his, the how he performed in fall league in front of you
0: I do yeah would you like to hear yeah, a, I would like a slash line and yes. Roughly 70 plate appearances, 364, 368, 515. 364, 368. <laughs> right. But if you look at the line, though, he had uh, – again, if you were just to, to examine the line, he had mere, uh, only a 1.5% walk rate mm-hmm. um, and about a 19% strikeout rate. And I'm going to guess – I don't know for sure, but I'm going to guess the strikeout rate for that edition of the – of the fall league was probably somewhere between, you know, 17, 20, 20%. So he was, uh, you know, right in the average range relative to his peers at the time, I guess, or his, his, you know, his fall league peers at the time. Um, but he has, he has had luck as a professional, as a major leaguer with, um, power on contact. That seems to be something he has, he has really benefited from. Of course, uh, you have to adjust some of his numbers because he was playing in Colorado and uh, batting averages on balls in play there are quite a bit higher. But uh, his first full season with, or his first, you know, like he, uh, his 2014 season uh, with Colorado, he hit the crap out of the ball. Everywhere. Yeah. Base hits. I don't know what his uh, average velocity was, but yeah, I'm always because with with the player he might be relevant in this conversation. I know that perhaps when I first began following prospects, or at least casually, you know, like maybe I would pick up an issue of Baseball America every now and then. I remember reading about Howie Kendrick when he was a prospect in the Angels system. And I think that there was some consensus at the time or something like consensus that Howie Kendrick would be a perennial 300 hitter, right? Yep. And Howie Kendrick has uh, become, uh, you know, or has been for now most of his career, uh, basically a 300 hitter. You know, I mean, you know, not always right at that figure, uh, but I think his career, he's, he's about 290 over his career, and that's including his most recent, uh, less excellent season. Uh, but of course, he has not really achieved that from commanding the strike zone. Uh, he doesn't walk a lot, and I think he struck out at roughly uh, league average rates over the course of his career. But mostly, it's been from what he's able to do on contact, mm-hmm. uh, and I and which is always an interesting profile to me because it's sort of the exact opposite what you're able to glean from the stat line. You know, you, you can see a guy who doesn't strike out a lot. It's harder to judge his the quality of his contact, though, which is basically the thing that. That if you're doing – you know, if you're looking – if you're observing a player, that is what you see.
1: I'm trying to think of guys on the other end of, of the spectrum that are striking out. Somebody you
0: thought the would make a lot of contact?
1: Yeah, I'm trying not to deal with extremes. Like obviously I I don't think anybody thought Joe Panic would, would be striking out. What is it like 7% of the time,
0: something like that? Um, He's certainly been successful, yeah. But he was always a little – was he always maybe a little bit old for his levels or – uh, i feel i feel like he maybe there was always the possibility he was taking advantage of younger of uh younger players but you know it's what's weird is and i guess also uh, from a statistical point of view i'm always sort of interested in this is he's he's recording now basically the same numbers he recorded as a minor leaguer like his his stat line right now at as a major leaguer th- this year in terms of walks and strikeouts is basically identical to what he produced as a 21-year-old in the California League. This year, uh, he walked 9.5% of the time. That season, four years ago, he walked 9.6% of the time, right? This season, he wa- he struck out only 8.9% of the time. That season, he struck out 8.9% of the time. I- identical figures, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, his isolated slugging is a little bit higher this year, and it has been for the most part as a major leaguer than it, than it was as a minor leaguer but you always expect some decay in the numbers right you expect you expect the walk rates to decay a little bit downward mm-hmm. the strikeout rates uh, to move upwards as a player is moving but um, this does not really appear to have been the case or, or it's taken him what he debuted in 2014 it's taken him a couple of years essentially to um, to begin replicating his minor league numbers as a major leaguer but some guys never get there in in uh, I, I don't know. I suppose, uh, maybe there are certain profiles could be the case. Maybe there are guys who just adapt particularly well. Mm-hmm. Maybe Eric Longan has an opinion on the matter. Um, I think,
1: <laughs> I think <laughs> to a degree that putting guys in buckets is, can be dangerous, uh, especially as it pertains to something this specific. Um, but yeah, I do think that like, I do think that there more of striking out and walking especially the walking and just having an idea of what the what your strike zone is is more inherent and uh more unteachable than we typically consider. Mm-hmm. Uh, I you know there's on the pitching side of things you'll hear I can't teach a guy to throw 94 plus but I can you know we can teach him to throw strikes. Um and I think the same thing on the hitting side is I can't teach a guy to have 60 raw power or you know run a 4-2 down the line but he might be able to learn his strike zone and I think it's pretty rare to do that. So I think um I don't know I I Generally about this, this specific thing, I just don't know.
0: Um, mm-hmm. that's okay. This is, uh, I've, I, I don't know if I've characterized it like this before with you. I certainly have done it with Dave Cameron. So I like consider the, the, uh, these conversations to be a, to be taking place in a laboratory of sorts. Mm-hmm. I think Fangraphs out here is a laboratory for baseball ideas. Is that, is that, a that idea that inspiring you think? It's like a It's comforting. Like a, it's a beakers. little freeing. Yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, uh.
1: Liberate I wonder... yourself,
0: Eric. <laughs> I'm trying. This is all, this is, I should remind us, uh, remind you, remind myself, remind the listener, this is all from a, a, a very brief conversation about Jazz Chisholm, who is a middle infield prospect in the D-back system. Who strikes we out. We started talking about the D More than. Strikes out a little bit. We started talking about the D-back system because you were working, you're beginning work. On your horrible burden, which is the thirty organizational less <laughs> terrifying. That's
1: what we'll call it horrible burden, Hor- Arizona Diamondbacks edition.
0: Eric Longenhagen's horrible burden. Yeah, at least plus, be the, plus the,
1: cross the... to bear. <laughs> <laughs> to...
0: Um, to and, and Chisholm happens to be a player who you. Um, who you're thinking about anyway? Mm-hmm. Because you you have you have to put them in the Dbacks list, and who you've been thinking about specifically because you've been able to see them at instructs.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So that's one player. Um, um, who else? Let's let's give me another name in the in the NL West. You do you want it to
1: be type. a famous name, or do you want it to be a sort of weird?
0: Okay. No, it's fine It's fine I think we can find our way around it regardless I, We don't need brand names here A lot of times Anything you're going to provide Will lead to a conversation That's the only thing that's necessary
1: Well, I mean, I saw Riley Pint throw 101 yesterday
0: Riley Pint Can I uh, can I unload the, my hard drive file on Riley Pint yeah, Unto you? Do. Okay Riley Pint, a very hard-throwing high school pitcher Mm-hmm with, uh, I think considerably above average athleticism. Yeah. Um, but maybe not huge. Maybe not huge. And drafted by, I don't remember who.
1: Huge athleticism or his body?
0: Body, not big. Not a huge body.
1: It's pre- he's pretty big.
0: Okay, he's pretty big. It's all right. Please feel free to correct me. Yeah. He's
1: 6'3, 6'4 mm-hmm. and wide.
0: Okay, is that all right. So that is a giant that's a big person. And what um in what context have you been seeing Riley Pine? Did you see Riley Pine? Instructs again?
1: Yep. It was the first time I have seen him in person. And he threw two innings yesterday. Yeah, two innings. Mm-hmm. Uh in the Rockies final instructional league game. They played four, they were all this week and they're done.
0: And so you and so you must have been Excited to see Riley Pine because he was what he was the fourth overall selection in the most recent draft.
1: Third, third,
0: third. fourth, third or fourth—it's up there. Mm. And he was, um, and he was drafted by Colorado. True, true. Okay,
1: and I was very excited. And actually, Jillian came with me because she was excited as well.
0: And what did you see when you saw Riley Pine throw? And uh, I suppose, to what degree did it or did it not divert from scouting reports with which you're already familiar?
1: Uh, it was, I mean, for a kid that just sort of at the end of his first pro season, you know, he's been throwing since he's probably thrown more innings this year than he has ever before. And to come out and be touching 96 and warmups and, you know, then amp it up and, and bump 99, a hundred and a hundred and one on the Rockies team gun was pretty crazy, um, It wasn't, uh, what I was expecting. Scout next to me before the game and I were talking and I was like, I bet we see 98. And he took the under and we were both, uh, wrong. (laughs) So there was that and then there were, there was a seven breaking ball in there as well. Like it, he throws a breaking ball between like 81 and 86 miles an hour with curveball shape and depth. It's. uh I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and he threw strikes, you know, for the first like 15 or 20 pitches, and that kind of went away, which was more in line with reports. Like it's, you know, mid to upper 90s, the slider will flash, the changeup will flash, but he doesn't really have any idea of how to harness it quite yet. But that's where the athleticism comes in. Like he was a big-time high school basketball player in Kansas as well. Uh and you know so people expect it to come. And uh yesterday for the first fifteen or twenty pitches it looked like we were watching a big leaguer. Everything was in the zone, uh breaking ball command was there. And I have video of it and I'll try to get it up soon, hopefully by the time this is published so that our listeners can see it. And you can just hear audibly like the scouts ooing and awing and making various Sounds as his stuff would come in because it was it was pretty ridiculous. And then the second inning, he started uh, clearly a developmental priority is the changeup because he was doubling and tripling up on the changeup. And the more he threw that, like the better those looked too. <laughs> um, so it, it was very very good.
0: Uh, can and, I ask you? Yeah. Can I ask you? You mentioned he throws. He threw a couple of, or at least one seven breaking ball, 70 yeah. on the 70 to 80 grading scale, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I assume what you're implying by omission that there were some that were not sevens?
1: Yeah, it was consistently plus. Uh, there were a few that were like, uh, I want to say the worst breaking ball he threw yesterday was like a 50 or 55. Okay. So it's not like some really raw high school or anything like that who's, can just throw hard and has, the, the physical makeup that you're looking for. There's more than that here.
0: Now I want to ask you, if you see a pitcher, and this might be hypothetical, but I assume you have to, um, you have to deal with problems like this when you're tra- attempting to evaluate a player, right? Two pitchers, right? The first one, we'll say he's a Riley. You could say it is mostly Riley Pine, right? Um, you see, you see him when he's working, you see three breaking balls, a seven, a 70, uh, another seven and then a four. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're like, you're like really good, really good. And it's plus plus, right? Seven.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, so two plus plus curves followed by a dud. Yeah. <clears throat> and then the next pitcher so throws roughly the same number of innings, roughly the same number of breaking balls. You see a six and then a six and then a six. I'm interested. Now th- those both average out to six over three pitches, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is my naive contribution to this. Uh but I'm interested to just give that sort of information. And again this is an unfair thought ex- exercise. Uh and yet I'm forcing you to do it anyway. I I'm interested to w- what you do in i in in both cases. And if it's different if you say well um you know one guy has better command but is higher highs and lower lows. Another guy um you know it's he doesn't have the the, he doesn't have the highs but he he can hit that six all the time. I mean I, what are you, what are your what are the differences in the way you evaluate them? So, uh given the
1: scenario you've laid out, uh I have to ask myself, do I think the guy who threw that plus plus breaking ball, even if it's less consistent than the other pitcher, do I think one day he'll be able to throw the breaking ball like that consistently? Or if not, does it matter? um is he one of those guys who misses with his crappier pitches in a way that doesn't harm him i guess that could be factored in as well although you know to a lesser degree mm-hmm. so uh if i'm asking myself that question will this guy throw that plus plus breaking ball consistently in the future uh then my next question is okay well is he athletic uh what does the body look like how does how well does he repeat that delivery is this a new pitch uh is he learning this differently than he was doing before uh or you know what is the context with with which i'm looking at this guy uh, and then you sort of have to make an educated guess i mean to be honest with you you know you have to just have context for these things to be able to sort of predict the future Uh, The other guy with the consistently plus breaking ball, I you know am totally fine with just putting a six on my report and uh, talking about how it's consistent. Um, If you're asking, like the
0: in terms of like if you're going to attach that that profile to a player, is that is that the sort of thing that followed Aaron Nola around? Right, where there was maybe coming out of college for him is perhaps given his size. And, you know, his relatively modest velocity, you have a mm-hmm. sense, well, this, uh, we, the, his ceiling or what, you know, like we've probably seen the best of Aaron Nola, but then the other point is you make, well, yeah, but he doesn't, he has also very few weaknesses. Now, I know I'm saying this all in the context of the second half Aaron Nola. Mm-hmm. We, everyone's seen the the second half Aaron Nola, which is not as impressive, but Aaron Nola up till, you know, July of this year or whatever. Is that the sort of, uh, is that why, why maybe talent evaluators were a little bit less excited about Nola, sure. even though he had so few weaknesses?
1: Yeah, and I think, I think that there's, maybe not Nola specifically, cause you know, he, he was a guy who was drafted high anyway, uh, certainly higher than that other archetype of pitcher that, you know, hasn't harnessed their stuff. Right. But yeah, I do think that there is some, some of it is just, the evaluator's personal taste, you know, some of it is the team's priorities. If you can draft a college arm that you know, is going to be a fourth starter, you know, for sure it's going to be a fourth starter, hundred percent, or you can draft a high school kid who has a 20% chance of being like a one or a two and your Milwaukee or your Tampa, like which guy do you want? You can't buy the one or two. So, why wouldn't you draft the guy who has the opportunity to become that? Uh, right. the same thing, you know, that was, that was the argument that, uh, people made for like Tampa or those te- smaller market teams drafting Delvin Perez. Like yes, he had the PED thing and there's a chance that the tools we've seen in workouts and in games from this kid aren't quite what they really are. But if they are and you're picking in the teens and you draft him, then you got the best position player in the draft in the middle of the first round. So, yeah, I think that there, again, like, context matters and not just when we're talking about the player but when we're talking about the teams in question as well.
0: Right. So you have to take into account sure. what's going what's gonna to most benefit them.
1: I do think there's a fatigue thing too. Like, Aaron Nola was good forever. And mm-hmm. the shiny new toy that's 17 years old pops up late in the spring. It, Sometimes You know And that's not Necessarily a good You know It's not a good thing Clearly But um, But I think that Everyone suffers from that A little bit too Yeah
0: So Riley Pint And uh, So what do you think Riley Pint's going to appear On your list I mean I have to assume that A player who's just been selected Fourth overall In the draft Is going to Appear You know And doesn't necessarily have A lot You know A huge sample between Then And right now Mm -hmm. Like uh, by virtue of that, in addition to um, the scouting profile, or you know, probably not a lot has changed in terms of the profile. That that has to uh, place him towards the top of the Colorado system. Oh right? yeah,
1: it'll be one or two, uh, and probably at this point number one. Brandon Rogers didn't play in the instructional league at all, even though he was on the roster. Uh, I have not heard a reason why he didn't play any games last year during instructs as well. Um, People who were at the fields for Colorado's pregame workouts said that he was just kind of hanging around wasn't really doing anything taking infield or anything like that so I don't know if there's anything going on physically there um Rodgers rogers is, is an excellent prospect in his own right uh but th- th- um I don't know man riley pint I, I don't i I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like I saw yesterday I don't really? think yeah um I mean, like, I've seen guys, you know, I've seen Garrett Cole bump a hundred with, with a plus change up in, in slider. Uh, I've seen Yadier Alvarez do it, um, albeit with less consistent, uh, command than we saw early from, from Pint yesterday. Uh, but considerably less effort in his delivery.
0: Yeah, so well, guys, I've what is stuff Sort was- of
1: like this, but not from, not from someone this young. Like Cole was a was a college draftee and Alvarez is is over twenty years old. Riley Pint is, is eighteen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think he turns nineteen later this year. And yeah, I <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like this before.
0: Yeah. Well that sounds that's very encouraging then. Mm-hmm. And just so com- compare them,
1: right? Because like before the draft when I was with ESPN, yeah, you know, I had my board. And it wasn't on ESPN. Like it was just my board because the board on ESPN is Keith's board and I contribute to that, but it's Keith's board. Um, and I had Jason Groom number one. So I've seen Groom and Pint within the last few weeks. Okay. And Groom was like – Where's not- Groom?
0: Can like, you, just, you just give Groom a quick biographical data? Jason Groom, uh, like 6'5",
1: lefty, good body from New Jersey who was one of the more talented kids in the entire draft uh, – Low to mid nineties, plus curveball, athletic, but had some off the field stuff that teams didn't like and fell to the Red Sox who took him without really making a call to the agent, uh, even though Groom had a deal with the team later in the first round. Okay. Uh Groom was like ninety ninety two for me at Instructs. Curveball is still there, body still looks a little bit softer than you'd like. Um a kid who's So you in- saw him out when you were in Florida. Yeah, I did.
0: Oh, okay. Oh, this yeah. is great.
1: Uh, probably after you and I talked. I do. Yeah. yeah, it was. Uh, so yeah, like, and I had Groom ahead of Pint on my board. I was concerned about Pint's command. I was, uh, more bullish about Groom's future ability to throw strikes. I liked the breaking ball more. Pint's stuff, the reports on him in high school were that his secondaries were not as consistent, uh, as they looked to me yesterday. And at this point now, like, I've seen both of them over the last few weeks and I think I pretty clearly prefer Pint. Um, so it's been what, four, four months since the draft. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So what's
0: the, what's the effort level like for pint when he's throwing this hard?
1: Um, it's not like he's, it it doesn't look like he's, he's max effort. You know, I'd have to go back and watch the video, but I didn't write like violence or, or effort or anything like that yesterday. Head whack? No, nothing like that.
0: Hi. Right. Well, I suppose if nothing else, right? It uh, gives him it gives him a margin for error in his development. Mm. You know, you, I think what you expect uh, you're not surprised at least when a pitcher loses a couple miles per hour um, after taking on a, a more substantial workload as a professional. Um, but yeah, you know, if he, that's it's the rare. That's sort of thing got, that
1: you you hope is counteracted by the physical projection. So pint is listed at six three. Hold on, let me look. Okay, so on MLB.com, he's listed at six four one ninety five. Okay. Um, I would have body comped him yesterday. I would have put like a future Verlander body on him.
0: Oh, well, that's a. I think that's considered nearly prototypical, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And do I mean prototypical? I mean ideal at least. Prototypical. Prototypical ace. Yeah. It's really good.
1: Ace. Um so you know I've I've spoken with scouts who have seen him pint in Pro Ball and like walk five guys in like three innings and stuff. So there's you know, he's not gonna I don't expect him to be in the big leagues next year at nineteen or anything like that. But yeah, he's this is a very special arm.
0: Hey, were you done in uh of course you were in Florida. Did you visit Clearwater at all? I did not. No. Ooh. Yeah, I any reports on any reports on Mickey Moniac?
1: Uh no. No, not that I I haven't okay. started digging yet. I think that, um I think things are fine, you know, I didn't, uh, hear anything about him at Instructional League. I've talked to some people who saw, uh, like, Sixto Sanchez is a guy in their system who, uh, you know, I'm curious about, cause it's a GCL arm, like, converted shortstop, I wanna say. Uh, his name is Sixto Sanchez, he's a converted shortstop, he's six foot, and he wears number 66. I like the kid already. <laughs> it's a little on the nose, isn't it? Also, yeah, like a- straight out of Central Casting, Sixto Sanchez. But like, yeah, like he throws, he's up to the kids up to ninety seven. But I assume everything with Moniac is fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't heard that he's looked horrendous or anything like that, or that he's Sorry, suddenly h- hitting for more power than anybody anticipated four months ago or anything like that.
0: Now, listen, we've actually uh, we we found our way to what is it? Pint. Uh, we did. Jazz, Jazz, Jazz,
1: Jazz Pint Sixto.
0: No, not not Jazz. Who? What was Jazz's last name? Chisholm. Jazzerado. Jazzerado, Jazz-erado Chisholm, Chisholm, right? Jazz Chisholm, uh, Riley Pint. Uh, we have to select. We have to look at uh, another NL West oh, all right, prospect, indeed. and uh, who will it be? Oh. The boring team is in this case is the Padres because the other two teams team are competitive. Uh, so the do boring, you have a San Diego? You just
1: call the Padres boring, and I I don't know if I said this last time on the podcast, but like I there's a guy who's been scouting Arizona Instructional League for more than ten years who says it's the best group of talent he's ever seen.
0: No, I know it's not. not boring. I I suppose that um, the differentiation I'm attempting to make is competitive versus non-competitive yeah. teams. So so the Padres make sense because we've we've hit the first two.
1: Yeah. Um okay, so there's a kid that the Padres signed back in July second named Michelle Miliano. This was not one of their higher profile guys, okay? This was not Luis Almanzar, it was not Gabriel Arias, it wasn't even Yordi Barley, okay? Yordi Barley was this raw, uh speedy shortstop who got a million dollars from them. Okay, it is not Michelle Miliano got four hundred and fifty thousand. Um, he has yet to turn 17. He turned 17 in December. I saw him last week. He was 90-94 with, with considerable downhill playing. The body's good. The delivery is good. Uh, And he's already got an average curveball. He's got average curveball feel and is throwing strikes. And everyone just looked at each other and was like, where the hell does this kid go in the draft? Like, if this kid were draft eligible, where does he go? Um and i think i heard there's a lot of the four corners area scouts have instructional league coverage right now because they live here and they were like could you imagine could you imagine this guy in our area like what would you do <laughs> like what do you do um and i and i thought i thought about that a few times in my quieter moments over the last week or so and i don't know
0: yeah i don't know you know what's he th- – say he give me the profile again uh,
1: I think I want to say he's probably 6'2 or 6'3, uh, 170 right now, but he doesn't turn 17 until December, so there might be more coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it throws like 90, 94 with an average curveball right now. Uh, there's just good feel for the depth of it and, uh, locating it and the body and delivery are good and it's just all very good. Not, well, not explosive, we- not explosive. We're not talking about someone Throw a ninety-seven here, but
0: mm-hmm. he's 16. You're also talking about someone who's sixteen. Yeah,
1: <laughs> so it's um, and that's like you know, of the guys who had profile on, yeah, you know, on the Padres instructional league roster, this guy ranks beneath Morejon and Espinosa and uh, Javier Guerra, Ona, Buddy Reed. Like, there's a long list of guys who when you look at the roster you're like i'm excited to see him and him and him before you get to miliano who you're like okay this is one of their uh lower you know mid-level July 2nd signings and he is uh easily you know the revelation of that that group just because of you know he sort of came out of nowhere
0: buddy reed that's a that's a name i recognize Yeah. from uh florida was it mhm yeah so what's uh what's what's Buddy Reed up to? Did you see him? Yeah, I did. You
1: know, it seems they really were forcing the issue with him drag bunting his way on. He'd come mm-hmm. up in every at bat uh, that I saw. Uh, he'd square to bunt. Um, as far as the swing goes, when I did see him swing, and it was very few times. You know, like he has, he doesn't have a, a good feel to hit, which is why I think they're trying to find other ways for him to get on base.
0: He does a lot of other things though, right?
1: Yeah, he does. There's raw power there, which I just don't think – I just don't think he's going to get to it. Um, and he can run and he can play center field and, and yeah, he's interesting. He's one of those – it's weird because when we typically talk about players like this, we talk about the high school guys.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's pretty rare for a college outfielder to be this tooled up uh, and be one of those guys who's got a high delta – you just don't what know about if, that delta, huh? Mm-hmm. Like George Springer was this kind of player, um, but uh, but there was a lot of tinkering going on, I think, with Springer his junior year at UConn. Whereas Reed, I think, is just people are he's been hurt and and yeah, you know, but uh, but yeah, it is all these. Toolsy college guys to me are interesting case studies because they're pretty rare for for guys to have tools this loud but not perform and also have gone to college. Kids with these tools out of high school, they sign. So,
0: yeah. Do you know – Michelle, Michelle to recap, Michelle Miliano, Uh San Diego. Mm -hmm. Jazz Chisholm, Chisholm, Chisholm from – Whatever you like. Klondike? You said the Klondikes? Yep. That's not a team. Mm-hmm. That's not a team. The Klondikes. It <laughs>
1: should be. It could be, maybe.
0: Yeah. I just, I just I think
1: world the Klondike bar my. company has the the kind of cash to bankroll sponsoring a team if we get to that point one day where we have like the Atlanta Cokes.
0: Um, right. Say the names again. Jazz Chisholm from the D backs. Jazz right. Chisholm
1: from the D backs. Michelle from the Padres. Riley
0: Pine from the Rockies. Okay. Oh, we're getting to, to interesting territory here. Mm-hmm. What? What? Uh-huh. It, what? I'm going to make you talk about someone right now. <clears throat> uh, Jordan Sheffield was a player selected by the Dodgers. Yeah. Uh, in the supplemental part of the draft. I don't know what it is. 36 overall, something like that. Mm-hmm. From Vanderbilt. Uh, now, you've already discussed – uh, earlier in our conversations together, you discussed seeing Walker Buehler. What was that? An extended? Was it? Did you see Walker Buehler in extended?
1: Uh A Z L,
0: or A Z L play? That's right. Um, One game. Uh, Robert Tyler, notable because I think uh, well he was a, he was a Georgia. He threw very hard, isn't that right?
1: Yeah, fastball changeup guy. Poor curveball feel delivery. I'm
0: not. No, no. I'm uh, Robert Tyler is a future conversation. Okay. No, sorry. Jordan Sheffield. Jordan Sheffield. Jordan Sheffield uh, also threw quite hard though. Also, maybe lacked Mm -hmm. command. Yeah. In some cases. Have you seen Jordan Sheffield?
1: No, he's on the instructional league roster, but I believe that he just threw a bullpen session and is not going to pitch in instructional league games.
0: Okay. Hey. He was selected, like, he was a Vandy guy who was selected by the Dodgers, as was that Walker Bueller, cause you remember when you mentioned Walker Bueller throwing in the AZL, mm-hmm. I think it was what, the, the scouting director for the Dodgers was there and he was a giddy? Uh-huh. Yep. Is that, does that show, uh, I mean, it could just be a coincidence, I guess, but it, it's also maybe something that shows that uh, Vanderbilt, more than other teams, is willing to take a small, a shorter right-hander if, if he's got the stuff?
1: Yep. Sheffield, mm-hmm. Fulmer, I think Bueller fits into that mold as well. Yeah. Sure.
0: The two of them went to the Dodgers. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. It's interesting that you said that. Uh,
0: Why is
1: that? Well, I went to see the uh, Cleveland instructional team the other day, and between innings, the bullpen where everyone warms up was behind the the field and behind where the scout section is. And every once in a while, we'd hear like a clatter of something against the fence, the bullpen fence. And we looked around and I realized, oh, the Indians pitchers are all on weighted ball programs. Uh, and they use those programs at Vanderbilt. And I'm pretty sure that the Dodgers have at least explored them heavily and if not, have adopted them as well. Uh conversely, I have spoken with amateur scouts who are apprehensive about drafting pitchers on weighted ball programs mm-hmm. because their player development guys for their club are not uh so keen on them. And they wonder if, A, what the long-term effects of using these programs are. Uh, I don't know of any long-term career, you know, long research about what they do. Uh, and I think the teams who are risk averse in general also feel that way. Uh, and, oh, I lost my train of thought.
0: Yeah, we, we got more, we got weighted ball programs. Okay, okay, so I think
1: there are some teams who are can, are scared off by that stuff, and there are other teams who are embracing it for one reason or another. Um and so it is interesting that both of the smaller Vanderbilts Righties have ended up on a team that seems to be embracing the program that they were on at Vanderbilt, and continuing that in pro ball and implementing it with pitchers who maybe weren't on it before. Can I ask a question? Yeah,
0: Trevor Bauer no, is uh, notably, Aha. Uh, very good. Has notably, uh, you know, been the sort to seek out, uh, a, you know, what might otherwise be considered obscure means of of uh, improving himself in his mm-hmm. game. And I think that he is pro- probably among the most notable practitioners or users of a weighted ball program. Mm-hmm. The majors. He, of course, is plays for the Cleveland team, the Cleveland Ball Club. What happened first? Was it that they were they adopted the weighted ball program, and and they were like, yeah, of course, Trevor Bauer will be on our team, or did Trevor Bauer show up? And uh, do you think he he spread the gospel of weighted balls? I don't know. You don't know. It's okay, but yeah. you know that's fine. I know.
1: I'm okay with okay
0: with it do you agree that uh, there's some
1: uh, yeah there there's
0: a, there's a question back? at the very the... least
1: Cleveland seems open to using it if not tell pro- you, proactively implementing it
0: uh I was I was very excited like I'm sure uh, other people were to see the way that Terry Francona used his bullpen in the first game uh, between Cleveland and Boston uh, did you are, you are you familiar with this or you uh, you might have your uh, that was I think I was at a game. That's fine to so do. So you may not know what happened, but uh, you're familiar with Andrew Miller, I'm guessing.
1: Did they really and, lengthen him out for that game? Is that what I saw?
0: Yeah. So okay. this Trevor Bauer threw I think four and two thirds innings ultimately, uh, and left without having allowed a run or maybe one run or maybe the, the number of runs isn't important. the The point is that Cleveland was up by two or three runs, and yeah, they brought Andrew Miller in. In the, uh, in the fifth inning, and he pitched until the seventh, at which point Brian Shaw, I think, took up two batters, and then the nominal closer, Cody Allen, mm-hmm. uh, he uh, he finished off the game, I think, you know, pitching a couple innings himself or something like that. But uh, both he and uh, Miller were right around the 40 pitch mark, which I think they both pitched season highs, uh, his season highs in terms of pitch usage. Um, so that it will, uh, I think, but what it illustrates, of course, is, well, Most immediately the, well, two things, the, the players, uh, willingness to, to experiment. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and certainly the manager's willingness to do it, right? Uh, and then, of course, you also have to assume that it's organizational at some level. Yeah. Um, so, so maybe, uh, more proof or more, you know, m- more evidence to suggest that Cleveland is not only, working with these concepts but there're also there's a sort of working communication between the nerds um, on the one hand and then the people whose job it is to implement those ideas and that there's some uh, there's a there's a sort of communal understanding that 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 is the way to do it
1: uh, yeah I Wait think to, that's um I think that's a pretty yeah I think that's accurate I think that's a sign of a good organization to be honest with you
0: sure I'm glad you're being – I'm glad you're finally being honest with me. Hey. What's up? Did you say – we said a Dodger. We said a Dodger, Jordan Sheffield. Mm-hmm. Uh, you said he threw – he probably threw a bullpen session. I know what you're doing. What's that? Huh? Go ahead. Do, do you see what I'm doing? Yeah, I do. I'm re recapitulating. Yeah. Uh, so we had Sheffield for the Dodgers. Just, that leaves one more team. It does.
1: Yeah. The...
0: Wait, where's Sheffield going to be on your Dodgers list, do you think? You had the ballpark it. Oh man. They're pretty surprised. So pretty like
1: easy. um Yadir Alvarez is probably gonna be up there. Verdugo, Bellinger. I spoke with someone who saw Bueller recently too and said that he that it's the same as when I saw, it. like it's really good. Probably right. probably somewhere between like six and ten, I'd say. Probably, yeah, something like that. Probably somewhere between six and ten.
0: Hey, Andrew Tolles, I believe, is eligible for that list. Oh, God. I still don't know what the hell I'm going to do about that. What are you going to do
1: with that? I don't know.
0: That's, uh, you could put him, I don't know. You could put him, but well, I've assumed that there's some pressure to place him towards the top of the list because guess why? Because he's there. Yeah. He's already succeeded in the major leagues. I mean, he's had, you you know, you're, the question, of course, you have to answer is, is it based off of something that's sustainable? Right. But but I think that there is you know the the majority of prospects, given uh, a month, a month in the major leagues or a month or two. I actually I don't know. I I I think he's still I think he's still eligible. I don't know what his playing time has done to him. I can. I'm going to, I'm I'm going to do some clandestine googling to that end. Ah,
1: yeah, 150 appearances, right? So that's yeah. beneath the rookie eligibility minimums. And then right. as far as service time goes, September doesn't count. So, right. uh, he was up in April for 20.
0: Yeah, he's eligible. He still, he still, he still has his rookie status. Okay. Yay. <laughs> what are you going to do with that?
1: He wasn't up in April. This isn't just major leagues. Um, what are you What are you gonna do with that? I don't know. You know that's so involved in the process is obviously going to be considering his success. It'll be talking to people. I don't think I've ever seen him uh, since he has come up and played so well. I've gone back because I've seen Rancho Cucamonga and stuff like I've seen the affiliates he, he's played for, mm-hmm. uh, but I can't find him anywhere in my notes. So either I did a crappy job and didn't have him down or didn't identify him in like a game or two that I did see Rancho Cucamonga mm-hmm. um, or he just, I just missed him. Like I just never saw him. So I'll have to talk to people. Yeah, he did. was,
0: he was not with any one club for a very long time. Uh-huh. He sort of breezed through the minor leagues. So um, yeah, that's going to be, and there's going to be more film
1: watching because you know, MLB TV is a beautiful thing. So I'll do some film work on him more than I would for the average guy, uh, because it's, you know, it's available and easier to sift through. So yeah, I, the truth is right now, like, I don't know, but it's a fascinating thing and it's a thing that, uh, that I've thought about before, before you asked me that. And I'm not sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those other questions. I'm glad I don't have to answer. Let, let's, uh, (laughs) let's, uh, let's just do the Giants. Who do you got for the Giants? One name. One name, oh man, oh man, one name.
1: Uh, I mean, I've I have seen Brian Reynolds. Uh, is,
0: uh, Brian Reynolds. Yeah. Bio, please, brief bio. Another Vanderbilt guy.
1: Ooh. Uh, played mostly the corner outfield at Vanderbilt because, or no, he played some center and some and some uh, corner outfield at Vanderbilt, but Jaron Kendall. Uh, you know, was like the more talented guy on that club. So there are some people who wondered whether or not Reynolds could play center field, hit well in college, maybe struck out a little bit, uh, more than your average. Some swing and miss. Yeah, he did. Um, switch hit air, switch, switch hit hair. Yep. That's, I'll say it that way. Um, but, uh, fell, I found out this recently. I guess it sounds like he fell to the Giants in the second round of the draft. Because there were some weird signability concerns that turned out to be completely unfounded. Maybe that was information that was put out there to try to get him to fall to the second round. Um, would like he would try and stay for a senior year? I guess. I mean, we've seen guys do it before, mm-hmm. but it is rare. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, that just sounds like it's BS, you know, but, and it was, um, He's looked good uh, during Instructional League, most notably in a few at-bats against A.J. Puck, who the Athletics drafted uh, with their first pick, sixth overall. Puck looked pretty good that day as well, consistently plus slider. And Reynolds tracked it, hit it 360 feet to left center, One hop the wall and coasted into third with a triple. Um, so he, and he's a guy that, you know, I've spoken with scouts to who said that he looked quite, quite good and they're surprised he lasted as long as he did in the draft.
0: How would you compare him to a collegiate hitter who went the year before in Harrison Bader? Bader is a player I had the opportunity to see on Mm -hmm. a few occasions. I think it was, he played for Florida, right? Same team. I think he played beside Buddy Reed, actually. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, Go ahead was kind of like a tweener defensively. I think he actually has played some center field as a professional too. Mm-hmm. Uh, good power, good athleticism, but also um, maybe some subpar contact skills.
1: Yeah, Bader, I think Bader, Bader the body is a little different. He's a little stockier and thicker. Um, I think the power comes more from strength than it does from – natural loft in the swing which is why where I think Reynolds comes from I think that he's got just a nice natural uh way of about backspinning the ball whereas Bader is more muscled up and has power because he is really strong um Reynolds can't play center field at all he he's like he's like a 40 runner and his routes in center field are just uh a little too inefficient for someone who's also short on legs to be able to to play there. Whereas Bader has I think a little bit better straight line speed and maybe could play there in a pinch although I still think he ultimately ends up in a corner. Um
0: I think do you think so, and, do you think I think so you're not afraid to put Bader in a corner is that what you're saying?
1: <laughs> Isn't it weird that I've never seen that movie and still know what you're talking about?
0: Yeah, I I barely remember, but, um, you know, any – How old are you? I think – 36. Okay. Uh, I mean, I think anything with Detective Lenny Briscoe, you know – you have to know from reputation if not, you know – do you know what I'm talking about? No. Jerry Orbach. Jerry Orbach was in – he's the one who put baby in the corner. Okay. Also on Law & Order, Detective Lenny Briscoe. I that too, yeah. Hey, buddy. What's up? Buddy, you did it. You fulfilled your obligation.
1: Yay. I'm going to go eat.
0: All right. Brian Reynolds. Brian Reynolds. Gonna Where's get, Reynolds going to go? We're going to... uh A Giants list. Probably three. Where are you going to put Johan Gregorio? Oh,
1: probably in the top five. Really? Yeah.
0: He's a strange guy, right? Mm-hmm. If, if, uh, I will provide a brief bio. Johan Gregorio is a hulking, uh, hulking pitcher. I think maybe, uh, 6'6, six, 6'7. Six, six,
1: yeah, something like that.
0: Who's filled out in the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, he looks, I mean, he's got what it's like roughly the same body as like Aaron Judge, right? That kind of big man. Yeah, big giant man.
1: Yeah, I'd say that I think Gregorio is a little thicker in the hips than Judge. Who, like, if you wanted the physical comp, Aaron Judge, it's John Carlos Stanton, and that's kind of it.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah, but Gregorio's big, and uh, he had a pretty great minor league season this year between uh, Double did. A and and
1: at uh, difficult pitching environments.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: maybe not. A. I think at Sacramento he struck out a bunch of guys, but uh, the ERA was bad. But he I was think it? breezed yeah. through double A. Yeah,
0: yeah. the uh, The thing about it's interesting about Gregorius. I had I had heard reports of him throwing quite hard, but then the starts I actually saw, he was he was mostly low nineties. He was like eighty nine, ninety two, or something maybe. But then again, with someone that big, you also have to consider the effects of uh, perceived velocity too. Mm-hmm. Who knows? I, although, I, from what I remember, he doesn't work with much of a stride, so maybe he whatever. Gains, uh, he, he reaps from that. Uh, he sort of gives them away mechanically. I don't know. That'd be that would be a tough one. That'd be another tough one.
1: Luckily for me, at least, as far as just ranking him, and I do think Gregorio, who's got kind of like a funky, uh, heavy arm action, I do think that extension is is a thing for him. Like, I, okay. um, but yeah, like it's not like the giant system is. Ex- it's not loaded. So a guy who's pretty close to the majors who. You think's gonna do some things like that guy. You know, he'll be up there. He'll be up there. I like him more than like Chris Shaw, and uh, Aramis Garcia, and Rodolfo Martinez, and Stephen Okert, and those guys here are, are, who are relievers. Uh,
0: Chris Shaw, Chris Shaw. That's the former uh, Boston College corner outfielder. First base,
1: first base. I mean, at first, least he's first, first base now. now. He's first base now. Yeah. Okay.
0: So, he is the sort of player that, uh, again, in my you know, somewhat limited skill set, I have uh, – I am least able to – because I have a natural – I possess a natural uh, bias against corner guys. And so I, I always just assume that it's almost impossible if that's where you're playing, you know, as a 20-year-old, the chances of you hitting enough to, to uh, um, you know, to uh, actually make sense there. Mm-hmm. And that was also the, the difficulty I had with Christian Stewart who came out of Tennessee.
1: Yeah, he's one of the guys who's like towards the top of my priority list for fall league, right
0: there with Tebow. What, <laughs> what did Stewart, uh, what did Stewart do this year? What, what, oh, well, I'm looking at the numbers right now. Oh, they, they were quite good. Yeah. Okay.
1: So he had a good season. Was like, you, I was in the same boat as you when he was coming out of Tennessee. I was like, okay, sounds like, you know, another Stephen Moya type of guy. Right. And then I saw him at, uh, not physically, but just, Tool profile, and then I saw him at Stewart at the Futures game, and I was like, oh, "Okay, this might be a little bit different."
0: Yeah, he actually, and he had uh, acceptable contact numbers too, mm-hmm. and it looks like he was taking walks. Like, so that's the problem, right? And that's See, like the mystery uh, over of
1: four, over four hundred OBP this year.
0: Yeah, and that's like the that's like the mystery of when you have power hitters like um, like Chris Davis, for example, the, the the corner outfielder, Chris Davis, someone who's capable of hitting, who and who, in fact did just this year hit 40 home runs, Mm -hmm. but, but does not just doesn't take walks at all. I mean, Trumbo, you know, Mark Trumbo is very similar to that is that these are guys who, who cannot, who must be, um, among the, you know, the, the laggards in terms of zone percentage, like they're just not getting pitches in the zone and yet, and yet they're swinging so much anyway. You have to wonder what's happening there. Yeah. Um, they're not exhibiting a lot of she plate points. What's happening? Chris Davis. Chris Davis. Chris Davis hit 42 home runs. And so far as I know, it actually did not officially qualify. I oh, know, I mean, he must have. He must have. I must just be looking at this incorrectly. Hmm. What's his zone percentage? Chris Davis, 40, 46% of pitches in the zone. So actually that keeps him up from the bottom. It's kind of like in the second tier of guys. Do you know who saw the fewest pitches in the zone this year? Among all uh, qualified major league hitters?
1: Um, I don't, but I'm curious to try to guess. Fewest pitches in the zone.
0: Yeah. This is according to PitchFX.
1: Is Javi Baez qualified?
0: Is Javi or Baez? No, he wouldn't. Okay. Um, but I could tell you, it, I could tell you where he would have finished among qualifiers if he had. Are you sure? I could tell you that. All right, tell me. I can tell you if he would have finished. See, he saw 39 percent of, of uh, pitches in the zone, mm-hmm. and the and that would have been yes. He would have uh, fi- he would have finished in first place by that measure. Cool. <laughs> so he saw even fewer. That yeah, you did a good job. Really good. The other Chris Davis is the answer. Oh yeah, that makes sense too. The Baltimore Orioles first baseman. He saw the fewest pitches. Yeah. Davis, Gonzalez, Ortiz, Polanco, Hosmer, all left handers. Interesting. Yeah. Polanco's surprising to me because um, I think he's always exhibited pretty good plate discipline. And that's probably why he was walking so much in the first half. All right. This is probably uh, boring someone. Anyway, I apologize to my family for being born.
1: Does your family listen to the podcast?
0: No, 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 no! Come on.
1: Okay, yeah, neither does mine. Wait,
0: what are you talking about?
1: I don't think. Yeah,
0: no. what are you talking about? So, what's gonna come after NL West? Is it gonna be AL, AL Central? Oh wow! Yeah. Oh wow.
1: AL Central.
0: Okay. Are you You're ready to talk to about Zach
1: Granite? Huh? Are you ready to edit them? Are you prepared? Yeah, I guess so. Gird your loins. You gonna talk about Zach Granite Yeah, we're gonna talk about Zach Granite. Zach Granite.
0: Yeah, Zach Granite. You gonna talk about him? Oh yeah. Yeah. How I many of these guys going going to go in your top one? Point? Yeah. Who's going to the top 100? Is is Gregorio going top 100? Oh, I don't think so. Okay. What about Eldemar Vargas? No. Okay.
1: What are you going to do tonight? What do you have today? Uh,
0: I'll probably turn on the game right now. There's a brand new restaurant opened in our uh, town, which is very rare. It's a town of 7,000 people. Mm -hmm. And it's a... it's opened by these folks who own a place in Brunswick, Maine okay. called El Camino, which is an excellent, uh, kind of, uh, excellent taqueria. Mm-hmm. And, uh, <clears throat> they've opened a place called Salt Pine Social in Bath, Maine. And, uh, it looks really nice. They're going to, they're going to have oysters, um, you know, probably some f- f- funny, funny cocktails, but it looks like a, it's a great place and the owners are really nice. So that's good. It's a big night. Big Night in Bath Maine, and then I'm going to sit here and also wring my hands about my Hardball Times piece.
1: Oh, yeah. I gotta—I uh, haven't want like a paragraph to write about that yet. I submitted my thing, but Paul came back and was like, can you write two paragraphs about what expansion, MLB expansion in Havana might be like?
0: Yeah. I'll tell you, I, around this time – I mean, I think Paul is a very sweet guy. Mm. Around this time of year, I hate him. <laughs> I hate him so hard because he comes – he knows. He knows how to find you too. You know, I'm like just about to get it from my computer, uh-huh. and I get a little Google message: "Hey friend." Oh, don't don't hey friend me. Pulse. Why person
1: asking for work from me?
0: Beard on your beard on your face. <laughs> hey, <laughs> no, I like to... I like Paul. But... I'm bearded as well. I know you are. You coming Bye. out for following? Ah, when that start? press it starts pretty soon. Tuesday no i'm not coming out tuesday okay
1: you anyway. can come out um yeah, i'll send you a schedule i'll send you the composite schedule of all the fall league and instructional league stuff uh,
0: yeah i would like to you can I come out with triple up like you can to.
1: triple up with me on saturdays 10 a.m instructional league 12:30 fall league 6:30 fall league
0: oh i might do that that would be fun you'll have we to could come do out soon, we then. Could, can we present it can we present it to david Altman, you think it's worth his money
1: Uh, I think yeah, we can. You can. I can do a whole bunch of fun things out here. Then we'll do. We'll do fun baseball content. We'll. We'll.
0: It will get some good baseball content.
1: Our pit and. uh, We can do all sorts. Yeah, I just
0: don't want anyone to see my face. On that social media.
1: Mm. Really,
0: I watched your video though, on Facebook Live.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna try to do another one of those soon. Yeah.
0: Hey. Let's uh, let's say goodbye for the sake of the people. Okay. Uh, thanks, Eric Longenhagen, lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.
1: You're welcome, Carson Sistooly, editor of mine.
0: That has been Eric Longenhagen, who is the lead prospect analyst for Fangraphs.com. I'm Carson Sestuli. Anyway. This has been Fangraphs Audio.